Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca jsb. Avoiding pain is a deep-seated human instinct. But as you mature in Christ, that instinct to run away from pain will be replaced with a new perspective. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at the pain of suffering and the loneliness it often produces. Are you ready to see the promise beyond pain? Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, The Lonely Sufferer. Well, thank you for joining us today. We are so excited about all that God is doing here at Turning Point and the opportunities that are coming up for many of us in places around the country. As you know, every year we do some rallies. Um, this year we have chosen two uh, of the states that have been more open to coming back from COVID-19. So we're going to be in Florida for two nights, in Tampa, Florida, on October the 5th at the Yingling Center. October the 7th, we're going to be in Jacksonville, Florida, at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena. And then a couple of weeks later, October the 26th in Houston, Texas, at the Berry Center, and October 28th in Fort Worth, Texas, at the Dickies Arena. And we want to invite you to come and be with us. These events are free, but they're ticketed. You must have a ticket. So um, you get your tickets by going to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org slash tour. Once again, davidjeremiah.org slash tour. When you order your tickets, they will be sent to you electronically, and you'll be able to show them when you come to the event, and you'll be all set to join us for a night of refreshment, encouragement, worship, a teaching of the Word of God. Michael Sanchez will be there along with our singers, our band. Uh, all of us, the whole family, we're, we're excited to be in your community in those four places this fall. Uh, so be sure to get your tickets and bring your friends, bring bring a busload from your church. Um, come and celebrate with us as we thank God for his goodness and faithfulness to us during these days. Well, today we're going to talk about um, the lonely sufferer. And this is part two about what happened to David, how he described it what he said about it, what he did when he responded to it, to God. This is Psalm 116. This is Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. David goes on to say that being sick is being despondent. Verses 10 and 11, he mentions, I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. In other words, he's crying out to God. In some sense, he's looking at the world as if it has played a mad joke on him. And everybody is a liar. Nobody's telling him the truth. 
I can almost hear him crying out, why has God done this to me? Why am I like this? Would somebody please explain to me why I have to be where I am experiencing what I'm experiencing? And if you've talked to many people who've gone through serious illness, you know as I do that many of them fight in their inner hearts with all kinds of guilt. There's always a preacher somewhere on the radio or television or in some magazine who will come along to help them with that by telling them, that they're sick because of sin. There are many reasons for sickness and only one of them is sin. That God often allows sickness to come into the lives of some of the most godly people who ever walked upon the face of this earth. And to tell them that one of the reasons they may not be sick is perhaps God has not yet come to the place where he can trust them with sickness. Oh, how wonderful and helpful it is to be able to liberate people who are punishing themselves in the midst of sickness, even as I believe David is doing as he cries out against the world that seems to be lying to him and to tell them that there is no reason for them to feel that emotion. A young girl died in the church I pastored who died of a very serious and strange disease called Ray's syndrome comes upon children usually after some other illness and catches them with a high fever and ultimately very quickly takes them if they are not treated properly. One of the girls in our congregation in a family of mom and dad that I'd had the privilege to lead to Christ was taken out of this life in just a matter of 24 hours with Ray's syndrome and Oh, how awful and hard it was to deal with that family and minister to them. Someone told me it would be helpful for me to read the book called Morning Song. And between the time when that little girl died and when I had her funeral, I had a trip to take where I had to preach. And I stuck the book in my briefcase and on the plane I read it all the way through. I have to honestly admit I washed the contacts out of my eyes two or three times in that trip. Because it's an honest and forthright book deals with this whole problem of guilt during times of sickness. And I remember the person who had poetically described this whole process. I'd like to share with you this particular presentation. It's called Remembered Sin. And this is the way it goes. I made a lash of my remembered sins. I wove it firm and strong with cruel tip. And though my quivering flesh shrank from the scourge, with steady arm I plied the ruthless whip. For surely I, who had betrayed my Lord, must needs endure this sting of memory. But though my stripes grew sore, there came no peace. And so I looked again to Calvary. His tender eyes beneath the crown of thorns met mine. His sweet voice said, My child, although those oft-remembered sins of thine have been like crimson, scarlet, they are now like snow. My bloodshed here has washed them all away, and there remaineth not the least dark spot, nor any memory of them, and so should you remember sins which God forgot? I stood there trembling, bathed in light, though scarce my tired heart dared to hope. His voice went on, Look at thy feet, my child. I looked, and lo, the whip of my remembered sins was gone. 
Oh, if I could say anything to you who may be suffering, who may be sick, who may be sorrowing, I would say that the God we serve is not a God who spends his life in retaliating some past and confessed and remembered no more sin. And if you choose not to forgive yourself for that which God has forgiven you, then you have elevated your standards higher than those of God. I remember one time when a young girl said to me after she had sinned and had asked God to forgive her, she says, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And I said, oh, you have higher standards than does the Lord? He can forgive you, but you cannot forgive yourself. And all of a sudden, just like a light went on, she realized that if God has forgiven us, we have been forgiven by the highest court of appeal in the land. There's one last characteristics before we look at another section of the psalm. And I don't know what to call this except it just seems to be dread. Dread. Verse 3 describes it. The sorrows of death compassed me. Verse 8. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. And certainly death is in the context for verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The concept of dread here is the sense that there is no hope. Maybe there's no other way. I don't know if you've ever heard a person cry who's deathly ill. I don't know if you ever heard them call out to God, but there's a kind of earnestness and intensity in their prayer that you don't hear oft times. Oh God, help me. It seems as if David has captured the characteristics of sickness quite well. But I want you to notice that he doesn't just describe the situation. He also tells us what he did in the midst of it. And I'd like for us to look not now at the characteristic of sickness, but I want us to look now at the cry of sickness. And there are three things that I want you to note in the psalm. The first one is in verse 1 and 2. And I'd like to put this over those two verses. I cried and he heard me. I cried and he heard me. Verse 1, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice. And verse 2, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. And the picture in the second verse is most illustrative of the phrase in the first verse. He heard me because he inclined his ear to me. And in my mind's eye, though I know that God is a spirit, I see the person of God leaning over the banisters of heaven to hear the cry of his hurting child. And God is listening with that kind of intensity when we cry, and especially when we cry unto him out of our sickness and our sorrow and our suffering. The psalmist says, I cried and he heard me. Notice secondly, I cried and he heard me. And verse 7 says, I cried and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. In other words, God not only heard me, but he helped me. He dealt with me and he did it bountifully, above and beyond all that I could think. He gave me what I needed, though it may not have been what I asked for. He dealt with me bountifully. I cried and he heard me, but I cried and he helped me. 
And then notice verse 8, I cried and he healed me. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And verse 16 adds, thou hast loosed my bonds. So often people have been hurt, desperately hurt, because somebody has told them that it is God's will for everybody to be healed. And certainly anyone who reads the New Testament would know better than that. How many times did our Lord walk into a situation where there were all manner of people who were hurting and sick unto death, and he chose one out of the midst and healed them while he left the rest in their condition? Though it is not true to say that it is God's will to heal everybody, it is true to say that everybody will ultimately be healed. Some will be healed here, and some will be healed there. There's coming a day, my friend, when the Lord is going to come or we're going to go to be with him. And the scripture says we shall see him. And when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all of the disease of our body will melt away and we'll be whole like him. If we aren't healed here, we'll be healed there. And it was with that confidence and in that confidence that David exalts the Lord. Is that not one of the reasons why verse 15 is in the text? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious. It ushers them in to absolute wholeness of body and spirit. Well, David goes on now at the end of this psalm and he has told us about the characteristics of sickness and he's told us about his own response to that as he cried unto the Lord and he heard him and he cried unto the Lord and he helped him and he cried unto the Lord and he healed him. But now David asks a good question. In verse 12, he poses this question, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? What can I learn out of this experience? What should my response be to this that I've endured and gone through? That's a good question, one that we don't often ask. Sometimes we are so obsessed with getting well, we forget that God is trying to teach us something and we don't ask the right questions. David asked the right question. What should I render unto the Lord for his benefits to me? But David, don't you understand that God doesn't need anything from you? Psalm 50, 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. What can you give God? David came up with four things in the text that are introduced by the little phrase, I will. Notice them as we study them together. First of all, I will remember my promise to him. Verses 14 and 18. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. Verse 18. David said, what will I give to God? What I will give to God is the promise of my heart. I will pay my vows. I wish I had a dollar for every vow that has been made over the years in a sickbed in a hospital where some Christian has said, Oh God, if you'll raise me up off of this bed, I will. And then when health comes, the promise they made in the shadow, they forget in the sunlight. I remember reading some time ago about their scheduled attack 
In the military, many soldiers wrote letters to their parents. The chaplain who was responsible to censor the mail was unable to read them until after the battle had taken place. And when he did, he found that two were in the same handwriting. One letter had been written before and one after the brief but intense engagement. In the first, the young soldier was writing to his mother. I vow to God, he wrote, that if I come through tomorrow, I'm going to be a better man. And the second letter was written after the danger was over and addressed to a friend in another regiment. Quote, I've just come through a scorcher up front. If you can get leave and meet me in Paris, boy, will we go out on the town. The vow that had been made in the face of danger had been quickly forgotten. David said, what will I render unto the Lord? This is what I shall render. I will pay my vows unto the Lord. I will remember my promises to God. Number two, I will render my love to him. It's interesting how love is woven throughout this passage on sickness. Verse one, I love him. Verse two, I will call upon him as long as I live. Verse nine, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 16, I am truly thy servant, O Lord. And then thirdly, verse 17, he said, I will return my thanks to him. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Hard to be thankful in the midst of suffering and sorrow and sickness, but David said, this is what I shall do. I shall be thankful. A brave little girl was taken to the doctor for a minor but painful operation, and when all was ready, the kindly doctor said to her, this will hurt, but you have my permission to cry or to scream as loudly as you wish. And the little girl looked up at him smiling and she said, if it's all right with you, I'd rather sing. Which she did as loud as she could with her sweet childish voice. But she went through her brief ordeal without a sigh, groan, or tear. I will give thanks unto thee. And then lastly, he says, I will receive his great salvation. Verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Would it be a bad thing if God allowed someone to be physically ill and jeopardized their temporal life so that in the jeopardy of their temporal life, he could get them to accept eternal life? You say, well, I don't think that's a very good thing to have to judge. And probably from the perspective we have now in temporal life, that's true. But ask me that question a thousand years from now. And let me answer it then. In the Midwest, there was a young lady by the name of Susan Leonard Johnson who attended our church on occasion and was a very close friend of a number of the gals who attended our church. She was in a Bible study with them. In 1977, she found that she had terminal cancer. Just before we left, a few months before we left the church, she died. And one of her friends brought me a piece of poetry that she had written about her experience. I never read anything like it in my life. I want to share it with you in conclusion. 
It illustrates better than anything I've ever seen that that which we think is a negative factor in our life, suffering and sorrow and sickness, and we dread it and we keep our hands out to push it away from us, though it isn't fun and though it isn't what we look forward to and though it isn't something we ask for, oftentimes it is something God does for us instead of to us. And she describes her journey with the Lord and the place that pain and sorrow and suffering had in her experience. When I was just a child of five and learned about my Lord, I never shouted, prove it, and I never felt ignored. My hands were always folded in innocent belief. It was easy to be humble, him above and me beneath. There was no cause to question or to complicate this view. And I'd often hear him whisper, oh, my child, I love you too. When I was one and twenty and learned about my world, how wise I'd grown, I'd outgrown God. My future was unfurled. Lord, you know me well, so I won't pray, and I don't need you anyway. How soon? I'm one and thirty. Why is life such a bore? I'm falling short in everything, and everything's a chore. I have so much, I've done so much, this emptiness is wrong. There is no God, my logic cries. I knew it all along. Lord, I doubt and cannot pray one whit. I will not be a hypocrite. Now I'm four and thirty, and the void is magnified. I do not understand at all how desperately I have tried. Disease has made its debut, and I scream that it's unfair. I'm only given one more year, and I sink in sheer despair. My girls are small, and I'm so young. They say there is no hope. The fear is all-consuming. Please, someone, help me cope. Lord, could that be you that knocks again? Forgive me, Lord. Oh, please, come in. Gathering up the burdens, he said this about my strife. You've been dead for over 30 years, and now I'll show you life. <laughs> Today, I'm five and thirty. What a blessed year it's been. The fear was changed to utter peace. There's happiness again. What time unfolds, I do not know, but that's not my concern. Once again, by grace, I humbly trust a precious lesson learned. Lord, I give my all myself to you. Oh, my child. I love you too. Dead for 34 years until she got cancer and then she came alive. If you had the perspective of eternity, what would you choose? Unfortunately, you don't have the chance to choose from eternity's perspective. You have to choose from the perspective you have right now. I want to ask you, Will you choose eternal life 
in Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the years, I have tried to end as many of these programs with that question. So many of you have written to tell us that's, that's when you accepted Christ. I hope if you've done that today, you will let us know. And welcome to the kingdom of God. Tomorrow, we're going to begin two discussions on the lonely spouse. Oh, yeah. Did you know there are a lot of lonely people in marriages around our nation and around the world? We'll unpack that tomorrow from Ephesians 5. I hope you'll be with us. You know, according to an old African proverb, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. I know that we wish that weren't true, but it is true. As people, we love smooth seas and sunny days. And if we had our way, there wouldn't be any storms or clouds or sorrows or losses. But we don't have our way, which is why we so often are disappointed, discouraged, and distressed. And that's the reason we've created this book called God Has Not Forgotten You. It's our way of reminding you of all the promises God has given to us to help us through difficult days. This beautiful 190-page hardcover book featuring 10 chapters provides comfort and encouragement when you may feel alone. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness to us, especially during challenging times. And I want to put this in your hands. I want to insert it into your home. I want it to be in your heart and in your life. And here's what you can do to help us. Send a gift to Turning Point during the month of August of any size. Say, this is my gift to help you with airtime and production. And then ask for the book. And when you ask for the book, we'll send it to you. And I know it'll be a blessing. I promise you, it'll be a blessing. Have a great day. See you next time. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you send us your personal story of Turning Point's impact? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, God Has Not Forgotten You, and learn to trust the Lord in times of uncertainty. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Overcoming Loneliness here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. The self-help book written by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People has sold millions of copies worldwide since 1936, and more than 8 million people have attended a Dale Carnegie training course. Dale Carnegie admitted that many of the principles he taught were common sense, 
but that people needed to be reminded of them frequently. Indeed, the rules for success in relationships are often the simplest, like the so-called golden rule. Jesus said, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. So simple and yet so often overlooked. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's rules for living on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.